Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class Podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. Well, uh, do we have any dog lovers in the house tonight? Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I'm sorry, cat lovers. I mean, I love cats, but I, I mean, I'm a... See, he loves cats. I'm a dog lover. And, um, you know, uh, at the Brewer household, it was really... Uh, <laughs> It was a tough week. It was a real tough week. <laughs> this is my best friend. And this message is dedicated to her. God used her to uh, teach me the hardest lesson of my life so far, and I have to share it with all of you. And uh, really, um, seven years ago to this day, um, I really don't know what we were thinking. Um, my wife and I decided to, we were really just led to the Plano Animal Shelter. And um, we get there and, you know, of course, it's adoption day. And we we go up and down the aisles and there's probably 15 different aisles and um, see all kind of dogs and cats and everything just ready to be adopted. And um, finally make it to the last aisle and... It's full of puppies and kittens, and so on the top cage, though, there were there were three Chihuahua sisters, and one of them was different. One of them wasn't short-haired. One was long-haired, and she just stole my heart, and so we asked if we could hold her, and uh, we, we brought her to this little play area and got to play with her and just uh, love on her, <clears throat> but unbeknownst to my wife, I'd already snuck out, snuck out maybe two minutes into it and um, went up to the counter and I was already sold. And so I'm up at the counter and I'm, you know, uh, saying, what do I got to do to adopt this girl? And she's like, well, what, what, which one do you got? And I said, I don't know. Can you come look? And she said, oh, you got Winifred. She's the cutest one in here. And so I said, okay, uh, I signed the papers, paid the fee and uh, rescued her away. But the funny thing about Winifred is, is, you know, uh, she didn't really, she thought she was human. She didn't really know she was a dog. Uh, she's part of our family, you know. Um, she, she only knew that she loved us, and uh, my wife and sons fell in love with her, too. And uh, we used to take her for walks together. She'd run around the backyard, and she loved to chase squirrels. And once we saw one out there, we'd open the door, and she'd go flying after it, lightning fast. And of course, she never she never caught it, but uh, she got real close, and um, so much uh, such a big part of our lives. And um, but she she used to cling to me most of all, and um, we did everything together. I mean, we we ate together, we napped together, we went to the grocery store together, we uh, picked up the boys from school together. We uh, I mean, we did everything. We sat out on our favorite bench together out in the sun and just soaked it in. And uh, she was just, she was always by my side. Um, she was always waiting for me at the door when I came home from work so excited. And 
you know, the first one to greet me at the door when I came home, and uh, just uh, amazing. She was, she knew when I was sick, she would come up, curl up next to me, and uh, just help me feel better. She was my Bible memory partner. I used to practice on her. So if you ever need an evangelism partner to practice three circles on, just do it on your puppy because uh, they're not going to talk back or reject you. They're just going to open up and love you. And, and so she was, that, she was that for me. And, oh, well, she was just my best friend. But she was all about me. She lived on mission for me, totally consumed by me totally consumed and it's hard to be without her and last Saturday was the hardest decision of my family's life so far um, well out of respect for my family um, long story short uh, her kidneys were failing very quickly and we had to decide as a family made sure my sons were there and uh, we decided after prayer and Oh, it seemed like forever uh, to put her to sleep and uh, and end her suffering. But this story is a story of life. It's not a story about death because she taught me so much. God used her in a mighty way in my life. She taught me that you don't belong to yourself. I thought she belonged to me, but she belongs to the Father. You belong to God too. He purchased you at the highest cost and he deserves every part of us. She taught me that every day is a gift from God, so use it wisely. She taught me to live like it was your last day. And she taught me how to love with all of my heart, not part of it. Even in her passing, she's still taking me to school and I'm sure I'll still be learning from her for the rest of my life. Corey Tinboom once said to Chuck Swindoll after a Sunday morning service, hold your loved ones loosely so that it doesn't hurt as much when the Father takes them. They don't belong to us, they belong to Him. Because God created us for Himself, for His purposes. Just like Winnie lived on mission for me, we were created to live on mission for Jesus Christ. To receive him by faith for the forgiveness of our sins and to live on mission for him, for his glory. And so tonight what we're going to see in Acts 14 is that exactly is what's happening. And the title of this message is continuing the series, We Are That Church. We Are That Church, Living on Mission. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. I assure you that the Christian life is, being a disciple of Jesus is not easy. We know that. God may send us on mission to some dangerous places or right here in our own backyard. But no matter where God sends us, He always gives us the courage, the endurance, and the power we need to complete the mission of our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian, said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
As God's church, we're called to die to our own will and live for his because living on mission for Jesus Christ means being his witness in the world. We don't have to be experts in theology and we don't have to know all the answers about the Bible. But we do have to be willing to tell people what we believe and how we've been changed by that hope that's in us. And really, that's what it means to live on mission. To see opportunities right in front of us. Opportunities to tell our stories that will change someone's destiny. So let me give you a little context about Acts 14 here. This is Paul's first uh, missionary journey here is coming to a close. And he and Barnabas traveled to many places to preach the gospel. Uh, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Pamphylia, Italia, Perge, and Pisidia, Antioch. And while on mission, uh, the apostles, they experienced all kinds of opposition, even deadly situations. But at the end of it all, they rejoice in the Lord, and they celebrate all who came to faith in Jesus. So let's read it, starting in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. They grant, uh, granting signs and wonders to be done in, by their hands, but the people of the city were divided. Some divided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers and to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and to Derby, cities in Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, and he was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up walking, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in likeness of men. Barnabas said, uh, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, saying, uh, your hearts will, with, uh, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas and to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. 
strengthening the souls of the apostles and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia, who came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perge, they went to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived uh, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained with them no little time. Let's circle back to verse 1. Barnabas and Paul, they're at Iconium, verses 1 through 7, and they get to Iconium and and they start preaching the gospel, and many come to faith, but what happens is these unbelieving Jews, they rally against them and they poison the mind, and that that word there in the Greek is kakao, and what it means is that they embittered their minds with uh, maltreatment, with malice uh, towards the brothers, Paul and Barnabas, poisoned their minds. So they had to stay there longer and stronger to preach the gospel and to deal with that uh, before eventually they were uh, driven out of town. And so then they go to Lystra, and they end up there. Uh, Paul sees a cripple man there, and it's a great picture of all of us because uh, every person was born spiritually crippled and separated from God because of sin. And so God sends the, someone with the gospel, and then they're healed spiritually. But in this case, the man was healed not only spiritually, but physically as well. And so the people see this event, and they immediately associate it with their gods, Zeus, who is like a sky or thunder god, uh, kind of like a king of the gods, and uh, Hermes, who is like the messenger of the gods. Um, And they say Paul is this messenger of the gods, Hermes, and immediately they recognize what's happening and they rush into the crowd and they say that, you know, this, these are not the right gods. This is this. Why are you doing this? We're just men like you. Why don't you turn from these vain false gods and turn to a living God? And so then uh, while this is happening, um, they rally together some of the Jews from Iconium and Antioch and they rally the people together to stone uh, Paul with rocks. And when you, when you stone someone, um, you're not just throwing rocks to just try to hit them. You're throwing rocks to try to kill them or cause seriously bodily harm, which could lead to death. You, uh, the worst way, just stoning them with rocks. That's what the people were trying to do, just trying to kill them. That was their intent. And so they actually thought he was dead. That's how much they pummeled him with rocks. And then they drag him out of the city and just drop his body off at the edge of the city. And then the disciples come around him, um, and somehow he's okay. And the crazy thing is, is that he gets right back up, and he goes and preaches the gospel. I mean, stoned with rocks, almost to the point of death, or maybe he was dead, we're not sure. But somehow, uh, he, he just gets back up and preaches the gospel. God was with him, no doubt. And uh, so he goes on, and uh, winning more for the kingdom, they head uh, to Iconium and Antioch, and uh, they encourage new disciples to continue in the faith, and they warn them about experiencing tribulations as Christians. 
And so Paul uh, ensures that they appoint elders and they set things up so that they can be led uh, in their Christian lives. And they were committed to the Lord with fasting and prayer. And then in verses 24 through 28, to wrap it up, Paul and Barnabas head to Pisidia, then Pamphylia and Perga and Italia, and they preach the gospel to all these other cities before returning to Antioch. And they wrap this up with this gathering where they declare all that God had done through their lives and this door that was open to the Gentiles, this door of faith, faith in Jesus. And they, they stay with the disciples actually for quite a while, encouraging them and strengthening in the faith. But all of these highlights, this whole chapter, all these events, all the, what, what's going on here, um, it, it tells us something. It tells us that when Christians persevere, we see God working in all circumstances, even in death. Luke's record here, he records this at, in Paul's first missionary journeys as the glimpse of this fruit that God's Spirit grows in us as we're faithful to persevere and endure on mission for Christ. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says that not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's intentional, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the reality is, is that oftentimes we're disobedient to the Holy Spirit. When we're disobedient to the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're dampening our awareness of God's presence by numbing His instructions. And we miss an opportunity to grow more like Christ. And in that way, we miss living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what God has made us for, to indwell us, to live amongst us. He said, I will never leave you and forsake you. And he meant it. And he gave us his spirit to prove it. So we need to obey the Holy Spirit to deepen our spiritual maturity as we walk by faith in Christ. Living on mission for Jesus is all about the Holy Spirit. I can't say that enough. It's all about the Holy Spirit, his guidance, his conviction, his power in our lives. We can't live without it. But it's going to cost you. Oh, man, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us everything because we have to come to the decision like I had to with Winifred because God's tired of having only part of our lives. He wants all of our lives all the time, not part of it. The Father's called us to live for his son, and what a life on mission for Jesus. <laughs> Can you believe it? Paul and Barnabas, the early church, they understood this, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because look, you don't go from town to town proclaiming the gospel and challenging the culture and loving people with all of your heart unless you're totally consumed by Jesus and living on mission for Him. You have to come to the end of yourself so Jesus can begin Himself in you. You have to put yourself out there and take risks. You have to take the masks off and throw them away. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and be crushed 
for Jesus to enter into his sufferings by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to take advantage of every moment. You don't want to live with regrets. You don't want to look back and say, man, I wish I could have done more for Jesus. You don't want that. So we got to stop praying about it sometimes and just go for it. And if you fail, fail with all your heart. Fail with all your heart because that's what God deserves from us. All of our hearts, all of the time. Don't be afraid to love people who hate you. Jesus knew how that felt. Barnabas and Paul surely did too. I guarantee you that. Don't be afraid. You have to live with every ounce of your being if you're going to be on mission for Jesus to leave it all on the mission field of your life. Not half in, but all in. Leaving it all on the altar. Because we are that church, and we're called to be that light, but we've got to go out and live on mission. We've got to live and love with all of our hearts, all of the time, no matter what. Even when we get crushed. And sometimes that takes us to come to the end of ourselves and to get over ourselves and to take the mass off and to throw them away and to be vulnerable and to get crushed. But that's okay, because guess what we get? We get Jesus. We get Jesus. So what can we learn from this passage tonight? Well, one thing that we can learn is that living on mission for Jesus Christ comes with great blessings, but also at great cost. Look at verse 22. What does it say in verse 22? It says that we must go through many tribulations, many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. But then look at what verse 27 says. They declared all that God had done with them and how a door was open of faith to the Gentiles. They celebrated, they declared what Jesus had done in their lives. And this is us. This is us here in Acts 14, just 2,000 years later. This is us. We are that church, courageously and faithfully reaching out to a broken world who needs Jesus. We endure and we withstand dangers to share this new life in Christ. Why? Why do we do that? Because this is the mission. This is the mission. And as the church, so the question is, how, how do we live on mission? We always hear that uh, in services and in Christian walks. How do, how do we live on mission for Jesus? How do we do it? Well, I've got some handouts on your tables. You don't have to write anything down. Those are intended for you to take with you and to get alone with God and let him overwhelm you with his love and wreck your will and let you come to the point where you can get honest and open about who you're going to put in these blanks here. Because there's five points that living on mission and what's happening here in Acts 14 and what should be happening in our church and in our lives today, there's five things that it's got to be. First one is connect. We have got to be about discipleship. Because that's one of the biggest blessings that comes from God is being discipled and discipling others. And when we don't do that, we're not fulfilling God's command, Jesus' command, who said, go and preach the gospel and make disciples. And if you've never been discipled, I would encourage you to do it. It is, you just grow so much in that. 
And, and, and through that discipleship, maybe a, a, a partner, I've been discipled by men and women, and it's been the most amazing growing period of my life. And I highly encourage you so that you can go and make disciples, because maybe we just don't know what discipleship is about. Maybe we don't know how to, how do I get started? It, all it takes sometimes is just a phone call or a text or uh, hey, let's get together and have coffee. And then this relationship is built and we're connecting, we're making that connection and we're walking out our faith together. Because if we never connect and spend time with people who are far from God, it's going to be impossible to introduce them to Jesus. Jesus set this example by hanging around people who needed him, people who needed to be healed, not just physically, but spiritually. And he calls his followers to live on mission, to not only believe in him, but to live like him and do the same as he did, make disciples. And then two is serve. Jesus told us to love God and to love others. But love, however, is often, often it's misunderstood because we can love dessert, right? We can love um, <laughs> chocolate. But to say that we love or even have warm feelings towards someone, it's just not enough. Because love means that we take action. When we serve and we break down walls in ways that words simply cannot. And when we serve people, we show them that they're not evangelism projects. They're not just people we're trying to convert. But they're unique individuals loved by God and should be loved by us. And then part three is share. As we reach out and we serve, the authentic impact of our love is so counter to culture and the normal experience that most people are intrigued. And so they might open up with a question to you. On the other hand, it might be that people appreciate our kindness, but they never ask why we do what we do. They just may assume that we're nice. We're just nice. And that's true. But at some point, God asks us to be bold and to initiate the faith conversation. And this can be scary. There's no doubt about it. Discipleship is important to help you come along and to learn how to do that as we live the scriptures. But remember, we don't have to have all the answers to these theological questions. We don't have to know everything. We just need to be ready to share our own experiences and how Jesus has changed our lives and then point four is grow. Having a relationship with Jesus should change us. The Bible tells us that we are to be transformed. We saw that tonight with Jared's teaching, right? It's not a matter of focusing on self-improvement, trying to change ourselves, but it's inviting God in, turning it all over to him, and asking him to do the heavy lifting. We're called to be disciples of Jesus, and that means for us to develop daily habits so that we can learn to be more like him and live by his example and to help others do the same. And point five is pray. If we're going to be on mission, if we're going to connect, if we're going to serve, if we're going to share, if we're going to grow, then we got to stay in constant communication with the one who's sending us out. Because finding God's heart for the world starts with prayer, and it moves us from our own perspective to his perspective. And it's central and consistent means to bring God's power to bear on every life we touch. We just can't live without prayer. Because no matter what circumstances we face, God's people can always find reasons to praise God. 
but we need to live and love with all of our hearts because our time here is short. It's just only a vapor. She was supposed to live to probably 14 years, and she only lived to seven. Cut short. We need to make those memories with our family and friends and with people we don't even know. Hey, who are you? What's your name? Let's have coffee. Did you know Jesus? Do you know about him? It can be that quick and that simple, but profound. So let me wrap it up with three takeaways. Living on mission for Jesus Christ is all about the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit empowers us to share the gospel and be the gospel. Paul tells the Corinthians that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Takeaway number two is is that living on mission for Christ is embedded with the gospel. We need to build relationships and connect, serve and demonstrate that love, share our faith and witness, grow more like Jesus and spiritual maturity, and always be praying and communicating with God. But we, need, we must be ready to endure persecution and suffer for the gospel. Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. So be wise as serpents and be innocent as doves. Beware of men because they're going to deliver you over to courts and they're going to flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Matthew 10, 16 through 18. And then takeaway three, living on mission for Christ means we should always celebrate the way the Lord's moving in our lives and in our ministries. Every one of us a minister of the gospel. The psalmist said, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. And Paul, of course, tells us in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. To sum it all up, God equips his church to remain faithful witnesses through all they encounter as they live on mission for Jesus. The fact is that living on mission is ground zero for Christ, for following Christ as his disciple. Living on mission means being discipled and discipling others. It's about helping others be transformed, but it's about your transformation too. Because true discipleship is so much more than church pews and enduring a sermon and having a meal together. True discipleship means denying ourselves taking up our crosses daily and following Jesus with everything we have, totally consumed with Christ. Because a true disciple of Christ pays close attention to the Lord, which results in study and service and sacrifice and suffering. But all of this is a labor of love and fills us with joy. Why? Why are we filled with joy? Because we belong to Jesus and we're saved. We have joy because we can serve Christ. We have joy that we might suffer for his namesake. Joy because we're his church, his bride, that he loves with all of his heart and gave himself up for her. So the question is, the challenge is, is will we keep going? Will we proclaim Christ in this next season or will we give up? Will we follow the Holy Spirit into tough situations? Will we love Jesus like he's loved us? And you might be thinking, how can I do all of this? 
How can I live on mission? It just seems like such a, a tall order. Well, the truth is, is that you can't do it. You can't do it. But Christ in you can. Because listen, God is working on you and God is working through you as his church. But don't ever forget in all of this that you are the mission. God rescued you in Christ so that you could live for him. So let's live on mission because that's the only life for the Christian. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor's not in vain. So let me end with this. We must remember as Christians, we must remember that God doesn't promise us an easy life. But what he does promise is to be with us and to reward us. And that, my friends, is worth living for and dying for. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. You created us for your purposes, to live on mission for your son. And we just are so thankful, so thankful, God, that you created us for a purpose, to live on mission. I pray that we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us. Please consume our lives, Lord, with everything we say and do points to you. I pray that we share the gospel with those around us. I pray that we would rejoice and celebrate all that you've done in our lives over the years, Lord. Help us, God, live on mission for you. Help us to connect and to serve and share and grow and pray. But in all of this, Lord, just let us never forget that we are the mission, that you loved us with all of your heart. Thank you, Lord, for Winifred. I sure do miss her. Thank you for all the lessons that you've taught me through her. Please rest her and keep her until we can be together again. The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.